I'd like to uh, begin a, a short, I say a short series, I never know how long they're going to be, but um, a short series from Ephesians chapter 6 on the armour of God. Now it's one of these studies that it doesn't mean I have to be here each week, that's not always possible, and it's able to visit it and leave and come back again. So the few weeks now, and no doubt we'll be visiting this again, Ephesians 6. And I'm going to read, first of all, from verse 10. Ephesians 6, verse 10, and I'm going to read to verse 20. And then I'd like to set the scene for this very well-known portion of Scripture. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the saints. Pray for me also, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. I need to pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask now as we look at this portion of scripture that you will speak to us. We are only too aware that we are in a world that is not encouraging spiritual things. We're in a world where it seems the enemy is even more active than we could ever imagine. And I pray, Lord, that these studies together will help us to encourage ourselves to stand firm in you. So bless your word to our hearts, I pray. Amen. Amen. The letter to the Ephesians is a tremendous book. It really is a great letter. If ever you don't know what to read, you know, read Ephesians. You'll be greatly encouraged. It falls into three parts, the book of Ephesians. And Paul writes, first of all, about the wealth of the Christian. At the first third. The second third, he talks about the walk of the Christian. And the third is the warfare of the Christian. That little outline is from a, a, a lady writer called Ruth Paxton. That's how she's written a book. And there's three headings are her divisions of the epistle. The wealth of the Christian, the walk of the Christian, and the warfare of the Christian. My purpose is not to go through the book of Ephesians, but to highlight that last portion, the warfare of the Christian. You've only got to be a Christian a short period of time, and you begin to realise that we face many challenges. You know, before I was a Christian, life was very simple. I did what I wanted. But once I became a Christian, things got more complicated because I had to do what he wanted. And that brought challenges, brought um, 
um, to my own personal walk, my own personal behaviour in that way. And so we're going to look at this over, however, and see if we can encourage ourselves as much as we can. It begins in verse 5 with the word finally. Well, finally in the sense that he's coming to the, the end of the letter. Now you've all heard preachers say finally, and then they carried on for another 20 minutes. I, I may have done that, my apology. But um, Paul is now coming to the end. Now, is he meaning, you know, finally, um, because I'm about to finish the letter? Or is he saying, here is something that's so important, I want to mark it out for you. Is it that what he's about to talk about is so pivotal to the Christian life that he wants to save it to the end so they remember it? You've got a choice there. Make your your own decision. I'd like to think this finally is coming to him because you see, what is the point of the wealth of the Christian, the walk of the Christian, if we are going to be defeated by the enemy? They go together. We need a, a balanced approach. We acknowledge that we are seated to Christ in the heavenlies, our wealth. We realise that we have to walk in love as he walked in love. But we also realise there are forces out there, external and within, who would seek to rob us of our wealth and to destroy our walk with God. And we need to be alert to that. Now, I will seek to be balanced in this, this understanding of how the enemy will come. And I hope it will be helpful. So he begins by saying, in conclusion, did Paul leave the most important teaching to the end? Your wealth and your walk are worthless if you find the enemy has defeated you. And having said that, he says, be strong in the Lord. Before we even get to the armour, I really have to highlight these points because they are integral in what he's about to say. I could just start talking about the hell of salvation and they would be random items that we would think about and maybe apply. But when we get the context we understand that this isn't a choice. Shall I wear a jumper or a cardigan? It's no choice. We have to do this. And Paul begins to tell the Ephesians and he's telling us tonight that we have to put on, we have to be strong in the Lord. Now, you know that, you know that. That is the source of our strength, be strong in the Lord. And Christ has said to us, without me, you can do nothing. Um, my baptismal text, we've got a baptismal service coming up from Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that verse is actually in a verse, in a chapter speaking about Christian suffering. Not many hallelujahs in that, but the truth is still the same. I can do, I can come through with Christ who strengthens me. So before we get to the armour, he's telling us to be strong in the Lord. Very, very important. But then he continues, he says, the source of our strength is be strong in the Lord, but the resource of our strength is this, in his mighty power. Now I'm going to ask you this, this, this. when I say the word mighty again, would you just say amen? It'll help keep Scott awake if we do that, all right? In his mighty power. Mighty power, and that's it. Our source is God. Our resource is his mighty power. So before he begins to talk about the enemy, principalities and powers, before he speaks about 
the armour of God. He wants the people to know clearly that we are to be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. You see, the devil has power, but Christ is all-powerful. And we need to know that. I'm not one of those who will advertise the devil. I will never maximise him. I will minimise him, but I will maximise God because he has all authority and all power. So before Paul gets down to talking about the spiritual warfare and the armour of God, he comes in straight away. Straight away he comes in and said, be strong in the Lord, not in yourself. Say, well, I've been in this church a thousand years. I'm sorry, be strong in the Lord. Say, well, I've been a minister for 30 years or whatever it might be. Listen, be strong in the Lord. It doesn't matter what age you are, how long you've been a Christian. In fact, be careful lest you think you stand, you fall. None of us are safe till we are in Christ, His mighty power, wearing the full armour of God. Now, whenever I read the word be strong, in the Lord. I, I must say, my mind always rushes back to the book of Joshua. I did some um, speaking on Joshua some time ago. We have in Joshua chapter one, and Joshua is about to lead the people into the promised land. And God said to him, be strong and courageous, chapter one, verse six. Verse seven, be very courageous. Verse nine, be strong and courageous. Verse nine, do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And here we have almost a mirror of that in the New Testament. Here we have Paul coming to the Christians, many of whom would go to the Colosseum, many of them who were losing their life. Many believe when we speak later about the day of evil, that actually meant their martyrdom when they would give their lives. But the difference between Joshua and us is this. Joshua had to be strong to take the land. We have to be strong because we have to retain it. We are in the promised land in Christ and so we have to retain what God has given us. We need to be strong to retain our inheritance. All that Christ has done for us is ours in Him. We are heirs, joint heirs with Christ. We have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. All of that is there. But wouldn't it be sad if that through neglect of spiritual discipline so often, we find that the enemy can indeed lay us low in this way. So Joshua had to be strong to take the land. We have to be strong to keep our inheritance. He had to be strong to take the inheritance. We have to be strong to keep our inheritance. And we can sing about all that God's done for us. We can praise Him. We can give our hallelujahs and our amens. But at the end of the day, we need to realise that we have an enemy. And may I just say this before I go any further? There are two battles that will go on. There is the internal battle that will go on. Paul spoke about that in Romans. He spoke about the, the things he wouldn't do, he does. That, that, that fallen nature, how we have to uh, die to self daily. Jesus, take up your cross daily and follow me. So there is a battle going on within yourself. It's a spiritual battle, it's no less. It's where you have a choice. Shall I sin or shall I not sin? That's your battle. Now, you say, well, the devil tempted me. Well, yes, we know he tempts, but you have to succumb 
to that temptation. Jesus was tempted. And when we look at the armour of God, we will visit our Lord's own temptations. But he was tempted and yet was without sin. So please, I am not saying that the only spiritual battles we will face will be external. It will be the enemy, the devil's doing it. Please, he will be doing it if you let him. But we also have to realise that if we don't walk with God, keep our devotions in place, keep our hearts free, keep, make sure we're forgiving people as quickly as we can, then we find that we're able to be more effective for God and all that he does. Ephesians 6.11 says this, take your stand. Verse 13, that we'll be able to stand. Verse 14, same chapter, stand firm. So throughout this chapter, Paul is saying, take your stand, able to stand, stand firm. You see, you say, well, shouldn't we be going forward to defeat the enemy? Please, Jesus has defeated the enemy. He rose victorious. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. All authority has been given unto him. All his enemies are going to be his footstool. We don't have to do anything but defend and maintain the ground that Christ has given us. You got that? And so Paul's not saying march, fight, struggle. In fact, of all the armour, only one was offensive. All the other pieces of armour were defensive. And so the meaning of this is simply this. As Christians, we have to be aware that we have an enemy out there who will seek to bring our Christian lives down, to destroy us if he could. One of the major strategies of the enemy is division. Now, please, people think, oh, division, if, you know, it, it means you can't disagree. Of course you can disagree. Lots of people I disagree with. You know, you can still be in unity and not agree about everything. And we can have our discussions, we can have our debates. But when it overspills from debate into division, then the only person that's clapping his hands is the devil. Now, I'm not aware of that division. I'm not preaching that. I'm not being asked to do it. But that's one of the, in the garden, he sought to bring division between God and Adam. We know in the church on many occasions, division is the way that he works. And so we find in 2 Timothy 2 verse 1, it says there, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So it's his strength, it's his mighty power. We have to be strong in his grace and in his mercy. And as I've already quoted Philippians 4.13, Christ who strengthens me, in him I can do all things. So before we start to talk about the enemy, and we're nearly there, I want us to understand clearly that he is all powerful, he has all authority, we stand firm in the ground that Christ has given. If I was uh, 30 years ago, I just said we're standing on redemption ground. It sounds a little old fashioned, but that's exactly what we're standing on, redemption ground. We've been forgiven, we've been made Christians, and we have to maintain and retain all that Christ has done for us. Now, the enemy is powerful. We acknowledge that. The enemy is powerful. We only have to look into our world today to see enemy activity in the murders and the terrible things going on around the world. And I, I, I didn't go through the list. You don't need me to tell you how our world is. 
Is that just coincidence? No, there are principalities and powers that will do anything they can to cause division, disruption, wars, to hinder the preaching of the gospel in those areas. And so this spiritual warfare, for Paul, it was very much the Roman Empire, but for us, it can be many, many, many ways. First of all, we've acknowledged that the devil is powerful, but Christ is all-powerful, his mighty power. We've got to know our enemy, but we've got to know our resources. Let's settle one thing for all about the devil. First of all, he's defeated. He was defeated. When Christ died on the cross and rose again, Jesus Christ dealt with the last enemy, which was death. That's settled. Now, he's going about like a roaring lion. He's very much in activity. Ty won't allow me to do a Bible study on all the different names of the devil. But let me tell you this. He is our enemy. He is our enemy. And we must take it seriously. The danger with the devil is that we give him too much publicity. And the danger is that we don't get, aren't aware of him at all. We've got to find that ground. We're aware of what he does. So let's find out, let's get this straight out of the way that happens. It says in Revelation 20.10, it speaks about the lake of burning sulphur. That is the devil's end. 2 Peter 2.4, Matthew 25.41. The devil is defeated, God is victorious, and we are on the winning side. Okay, so whatever goes on in our lives does not determine the purposes of God. So we could all decide tonight, and please don't, because we've got enough work as it is, that we are going to backslide. We're not going to pray again. We're going to be really horrible. And, uh, uh, you know, and would that mean that devil's won? No. He is defeated. But what will happen is you will miss out on the blessing of God. The effectiveness of this fellowship will be affected because you're no longer part of us. And so there are consequences. So there's two things. He's defeated. But the scripture says he is still going around like a roaring lion seeking him. Now, this is where spiritual maturity comes in, is able to discern whether it's the enemy or whether it's just a, maybe a weakness in you or whether it's something of life. So not everything that happens. So if you oversleep and miss the bus, don't blame the devil. Get yourself a new alarm clock. Okay, um, if, if you're not living a healthy lifestyle, and I must say at the moment, I don't think I'm living one, okay, and I do hope my wife's not listening to this. Um, you know, we can't turn around and blame the devil. But when we see how the internet is being abused and used for evil, we know there's an enemy out there when I read this week of 12 people beheaded by a certain so-called religious group, I think the enemy is at work. When I read about whole countries who've declared themselves atheists and persecute Christians, I see the enemy. And so this idea that he's just in our circle, Paul wants to deal with that. Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to who? Jesus. Jesus. 
He said, oh, the devil, don't give me, oh, the devil. Go, oh, Jesus, in that way. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, I don't know, I left school early. I left at lunchtime. But let me tell you this. All authority means there's nothing left for anybody else. If he's got all the authority, what other authorities? Oh, well, we've got authority <laughs> in Christ. Everything's in him. So the devil doesn't have authority. He's got all authority. So he will do what he can. He will cause troubles and upsets and all sorts of things. But we've got to be aware of his schemes. And Ephesians 1, 20 and 21, that God hath seated him, that's Christ, at the right hand, listen to this, far above all authority, power and dominion, God has placed all things under his feet. So at the beginning of the epistle, Paul almost uses the same list as he does in six. He's saying dominion, uh, the schemes of the evil, and they're all there, but he's saying that Christ has got all authority. He's seated at the right hand of the Father in that way. All dominion is under him. And so this matter of spiritual warfare is real, but in one sense it's false because Christ already has the victory. Christ is already going to return. His word has already declared what Satan's end will be. So you might say, well, if he's defeated, what are we worried about? Oh, hang on. He's still not judged. He's still not judged at the end of the age. He is seeking whom he may devour. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want him to devour me. And as a pastoral team here, and I'll include myself in that at the moment, if I may, we don't want you devoured. We're giving these series of studies. Why? Because we like doing it. Well, it's not a problem, but we realise that our spiritual lives, particularly as we're coming out of lockdown now, we really have to get in shape now and make sure we're ready for what God wants to do within this fellowship and the Christian church in this UK. And I want you to be part of whatever that might be. And God may reveal that to other people, but not to me. So having spoken about um, the full armour, talking about the devil's schemes, we find in verse 11, he says, put on the full armour of God so that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. Okay? Now, let's just talk about the devil just for a second. Let me just say to you who he was. Isaiah tells us that the devil was the morning star and son of the dawn. He was, in my understanding, the highest of the archangels. So he's up there. We've got our Michaels, we've got our Gabriels, and I will mention them if, if a little tonight, maybe more later, just a bit of an advert for the future, you know. But that's who he was. So the devil did not start off as being God's enemy. He started off being by being an archangel. And his title was very simple, Isaiah 14, the morning star, the sun of the dawn. But in that same chapter, we read what went wrong with him. It says in verse 13, you said in your heart. Now again, that's a challenging verse that Satan has a heart. Satan said in his heart these things, I will ascend. So Satan was not happy serving God. He wasn't happy being the, the, the assistant, the number one. On, he, didn't, he wasn't happy being the captain of the team, let me put it like that. He actually 
wanted to ascend higher. He said, in your heart, you said, I will ascend. Then it says this, I will um, place, I will raise my throne. I will sit enthroned. I will ascend. I will make myself, listen to this. It says, I will make myself like the most high. All through that, we have pride. We have pride. But more than that, he says, I will. I will, he said. I will, I will. And even to this day, his will is that he might thwart the purposes of God because he knows that when you and I live for Christ in victory, when you and I live for Christ with our whole hearts, then who gets the glory? God. And he begrudges God any praise, any worship, any glory, because he said, I will ascend, I will have my throne, I will. And that's a danger. We must listen to that in our own hearts. Be careful. Whenever you say it, you hear yourself saying, I will. Whoa. Ask yourself, I will. No, I'd like to. You know, I'd like to. But not, I will, in that sense. And so we see Satan here. We see who he was, we see what he did. He sought to rise higher than his station. But then what happened to him? Who was he? Son of, son of the morning. What did he do? He rose, he sought to usurp God's authority. But what happened to him? It just says there, he was brought down to the grave and to the depths of the pit. So having sought to have a military coup in heaven with his third of the angels, we believe that Michael had a third, Gabriel had a third, and Lucifer had a third. And they lost and were cast down. And that verse is there. And now he's not in, the, in heaven, but he's in the heavenlies, which is a spiritual world. It's not where God dwells. Although in Job, we're told that Satan has actually walked into the presence of God and had a discussion with God. You say, explain that one, Gordon. Well, I can't. All I know is it said it happened. It said it happened. And so we find ourselves here. If you want more information, Ezekiel 28, 11 to 19. So having acknowledged where our strength is, it's in his mighty power. Having acknowledged that we must put on the full armour of God, that we might stand against the devil's schemes. Having identified the enemy, he now moves on to define the battle that we're in. And it's very simple. First of all, what it is not. Paul tells us what it is not first. He says there in that verse, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Okay, so if our government was to pass an ungodly law, okay, and I personally think previous governments and possibly this one, I'm not trying to pick holes in anybody, have passed, as far as I'm concerned, ungodly laws. Okay, now, um, in that way, then I can see behind those ungodly laws, I can see forces that seek to bring down the righteousness of God that exalts a nation, okay, in that situation. So, it's not against flesh and blood. So my argument isn't just with the government. I can decide whether I will vote for them again or not vote for them. I can write to my MP. I had meetings with an MP um, many times. Um, I won't mention her name, but 
He's quite a famous MP and we had several quite heated discussions about different things. But that's my right as a citizen. So my, my war isn't against flesh and blood. She's just part of a, a political system that sadly now, you know? Do you know, I, I mustn't get political now. I, I could just say something. Let me have some water and calm down. I must realise that this is not my church and I, I must not take advantage of the situation. So what it is not, it is not against flesh and blood. So it's not like going to war. Um, you know, we're not at war with this nation or war with that nation. It's not flesh and blood, but it's a spiritual war. So we're not going to say, all oh, the men here, we're constricting you in an army. We're going to send you off for training and give you a gun and we'll go. No, no, no. It's not against flesh and blood. The outcome of the battle can be seen in the natural, but the battle is not in the natural. Then he, he goes on further. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. And he uses certain words, but against the rulers. Okay? Against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces. So Paul is telling us that running with us, we have the heaven where Christ is enthroned. Then we have the heavenlies in this spiritual world where we can be actively involved through prayer and intercession and other areas as well. And then we have our lives here where we are encouraged to put on the full armour of God. And Paul defines the enemy for us. He says they're against the rulers. Now, it would seem that there are rulers in the heavenlies. Notice I say heavenlies, not heaven. Heaven is God's dwelling place. That's up there. There's no, I say up there. That sounds, you know, like hell's down here and heaven's up there. But it's the easiest way to communicate. The highest place is where God indwells where his glory is, the Shekinah glory of God is to be found, that we got glimpses of in the tabernacle and in the temple. Uh, we have, that's where Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his, throw, his, his um, a throne and his robes filled, his glory filled the temple. Isaiah 6, read it. I got it wrong there, forgive me. But you know, we're not there. But in that spiritual world, the, the heavenlies, not heaven, the heavenlies, we're told there, there are rulers. Daniel is a great book. I know Pastor Colin mentioned the book of Daniel this morning. We find here in Daniel 10, it speaks about um, the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece. He actually talks about spiritual entities that he had to engage with in prayer and in spiritual warfare. In Daniel 10, 13, he says, then Michael, one of, um, one of the chief princes came to help me. Um, Archangel Michael. So we have a little glimpse in Daniel. Time won't allow. I have been given plenty of time, but just time won't allow to look at that. But we have a glimpse where Daniel says, I was praying and the prince of Persia withheld my prayers. Michael turned up, shifted him out of the way and the prayers got through. Now, that is, that's unusual. I, I, you say, well, come on, tell us all about it. I don't know all about it. And I think sometimes it's good that we don't know everything about everything. But I do know this, we have an enemy 
And I do know this, that in the heavenlies we have good forces and we have evil forces. And I know that on the church of Jesus Christ is victorious. And when we pray, things happen. So spiritual warfare is engaged by us in this way. He then speaks about against the rulers, against the authorities. There's a command structure. The enemy has a command structure. You say, oh, Gordon. Well, let me give you the other. Do you think the devil has a tail and horns and a, a, a fork? Of course he hasn't. That's a caricature that's probably come from the Middle Ages or somewhere, I don't know. Others will be better educated than me. He's not that. He's not turning up. The Bible says he'll turn up as an angel of light if it suits him to get his ways. That's why we need to have discernment. So before we get to the armour, I'm trying to convince you that we need the armour, that we need this because of the spiritual warfare that is taking place against authorities, against the powers of this dark world. How dark this world is. Do you know, we often say, my wife and I, oh, you know, bringing children into this world and now we have grandchildren. I mean, my parents said it, every, every generation said it. The world isn't getting better, as far as I can see, just getting more sophisticated in the way it leads people into sin and to break God's laws. So, oh, Gordon, you can't talk about sin. We, we can in this church. We can talk about sin and forgiveness and resurrection and Christ's power. Oh, yes, we can. And we will. Because it's absolutely true what Paul is saying here. If it was true in the days of the Roman Empire, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers. Was he thinking of Caesar, authorities, against powers of this dark world? Was he thinking of the men who dreamt up the Colosseum and the games where Christians would lose their lives to wild animals against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms? We look at world history we see some of the most evil people of world history. You think, how can a human being like that? Let me tell you, there were forces that encouraged them and led them forward to do horrible things. And the church of Jesus Christ stands as a city on a hill. The church of Jesus Christ stands as a group of people who believe that Jesus is victorious and we know that the enemy is defeated and one day he will be judged for eternity. And then having said that, he speaks about evil in the heavenly realms. You see, two areas are mentioned. There is in Ephesians 4.10, higher than all the heavens. In Ephesians 4.10, it says there, he who ascends is the very one who ascends higher than all the heavens. So he's speaking about Christ. He is ascended higher than all the heavens. So his dwelling place is above the heavenlies. And it says in Ephesians 1.21, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title is in God's dwelling place. In, chapter, in this chapter, in verse 6, 12, we have, if you like, the lower area. Verse, pardon me, in verse 12, pardon me. Verse 12, we read these words. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, against rulers, authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual force in 
heavenly realms. So Ephesians 4 reminds us that Christ is in the heavens above them, but below him, always below him, always below him, we have this area where spiritual warfare is to take place. And I'm almost coming to a conclusion now. In verse 13, he says, having told us to be strong, having told us about the mighty power of God, having told us to put the armour of God, he talks to us about the, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. He talks about the spiritual world that is the enemy of Jesus Christ and the church of Jesus Christ. And it's on that platform when maybe the Ephesians were feeling pretty downcast. Hang on a minute. Principalities and powers, the devil, spiritual authorities. Oh dear, oh dear. How are we going to manage? How will we survive? Then Paul, who was probably writing this with a Roman soldier guarding him, looked at the Roman soldier and began to speak about not physical armour, but spiritual armour. Then he says, therefore, put on the full armour of God so when the day of evil comes, you are able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand. That's it. You see, well, you know, you know, we could say, well, we're going to take the nation for Christ. Of course, we're going, to, we're going to take the nation for Christ one person at a time. You know that, don't you? One person at a time. But we're going to take our stand. Then in this evil world, this evil world, we're going to stand in the strength of Christ, in his mighty power. Not because we are elitist or because we are special, but because we are his. And because we are his, Paul says, listen, you've got all the equipment you need to live a victorious life. You say, oh, the victorious life means I've got to go and win thousands for Jesus. But well, it might. But it might just mean that from this moment on till the day you die or Christ comes, you will be faithful to him. That gives glory to God, you know. It means glory to God. And so the next time I have the privilege of being with you, we'll go a little further. We'll begin to look at this armour. Having acknowledged the enemy, having acknowledged the need, we'll look together at the solution for this. And then we will look at each of the pieces of the armour of God and try to understand it so that together we can make sure that we are able to take our stand.